No matter if the economy is up or down, healthcare careers continue to grow, especially in management. Stevenson University Online's Master's in Healthcare Management can put your career on a new track, especially for career changers with previous business, HR, or technology backgrounds. Discover new opportunities with our Healthcare Management Masters. No GREs, no application fees, and 100% online. Visit online.stevenson.edu slash healthcare management. Podcast. I'm Charlotte. I'm Emily. We are two PhD students from the University of Queensland. We are two young researchers that want to highlight the importance of women in agriculture who are part of the STEM community. We're so proud to be part of this and we want to share with you the real life of some extraordinary women making a difference in their field. Let's break the stereotypes and show what we really are. Let's, Let's get, get started! started. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Illuminati podcast. Today, it's my pleasure to introduce Bianca Das. She is a PhD student with the University of Queensland and CSIRO Agriculture and Food in Australia. She is passionate about soils, science communication, global agricultural development, and nutrition security in, and human rights. Bianca volunteers for OS Harvest and the research, Researchers in Agriculture for International Development, the RAID Network to promote sustainable use of food in Australia and around the world. In 2019, Bianca was selected to participate in the World Class Leadership Strategic and Science Initiative and Outreach for Women, the Homeward Bound program, which culminated with a month of training in Antarctica in November 2019. Welcome, Bianca. Thank you, Emily and Charlotte. That's <laughs> Great awesome. to meet you. <laughs> That's <a> very impressive. <laughs> Such an <laughs> enormous thing of accomplishments and like, yes. wow. <laughs> We're very impressed. Uh, we definitely will ask you about that experience. We would like to know how was it for you. Yes. But now I'll let Charlotte get started. Okay, so at the beginning, we always start with personal questions. Mm -hmm. Could you please give us a quick biography? So sure. where are you from, childhood, your life path, all these things. <laughs> So I'm from a small beach town in New Zealand. Um, it's called Romati South and it's in the Wellington region. And it's a kind of windy, cloudy, sometimes sunny um, little spot that's got mountains, on, well, small mountains on one side and then the ocean on the other. And I have a mixed heritage of Bengali, Irish and English. And so my parents didn't, weren't born in New Zealand. So I'm a first generation New Zealander, but I, and I culturally identify as a New Zealander or Kiwi as we call it. So my perception growing up was quite closely fostered by the Kiwi way of life, um, which is quite a small town kind of culture, but I was also strongly influenced by the indigenous culture, the Maori culture, where I learned about a concept called kaitiakitanga is... What does uh, it mean? That means looking out for the land or being a... It's about land stewardship. So it's sort of um, protecting the land and having that concept in your mind that we are only temporary, but the mountain will, you know, last on 
after us. So um, I, I, would, I was always interested in the environment and my surroundings and what the human relationship with the environment was. Yeah, so I guess that that's kind of one of my, my stronger influences that I didn't really realize at the time it wasn't something, it's only when I look back um, in, in the last few years that I've actually realized that that's something that's really shaped my decision making. Okay, that's awesome. So you have like the, we call it the hybrid Viger since all this, <laughs> this mix <laughs> from everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I mean, I'm not too sure whether this is something that's interesting to your audience, but yes, it is. Um, <laughs> I guess something that I've been trying to explore over the last year is like who I am and, you know, because I have this mixed heritage and I've grown up in a different country and now I'm working in a different country. It's really hard to know exactly how people relate to me and how they see me um, and then how that reflects on how, I behave with different groups of people depending on how they perceive me. So I don't know if that, that's just a little bit of a side um, story, but yeah, it's something that I think looking back on where I came from and um, where my parents came from, it's really important to try to work out exactly where I stand and all of that. And I don't think I've quite figured it out yet, but it, yeah, it's a bit of a journey. <laughs> no, I feel it because I have the same thing. My mom, she's Italian. But mm -hmm. my father is French, Spanish, and with Armenian origins. Wow. And I have also like a small percentage of Belgium and Russia. Mm -hmm. And since I was a kid, I always been in two countries between like Italy and France. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, I don't have roots. I'm like, and I lived in different <laughs> countries. And I don't know where I am. <laughs> so I don't know where I'm from. And I'm just like a mix. There. <laughs> yeah. And then just when you think you figured it out and you like go and mm. try to hang out with your people and then they say oh are you even you know you're not you, you're nothing like us and then yeah yeah kind and of have to figure out whether you need to reassess that or yeah. whether you're going to stand your ground and say no I am because xyz you know and I, I think I'm just in that trying to figure out it's up to me to decide you know so yeah but <laughs> I think you don't have to be like it's you it's you're original and you're different and it's a good thing you have to yeah. be like, oh you have to be this or I have to be Italian or I have to be French no it's it's good to be both <laughs> and you're different yeah. from the others and you have qualities from one country and another quality from the other one and, and yes that's why this make makes you unique yeah. and Bianca how did you end up in Australia um, so I when I finished university in New Zealand, so that was 2011, 2012, we just had these massive earthquakes in Christchurch. The country was in recession. There were no jobs. We just, we had a conservative government who weren't really into creating new job, a lot of new positions. So I was really also, and so I, I guess the environment in New Zealand wasn't favorable for me but at the same time, there was opportunities overseas and I really wanted to, to start exploring different pathways overseas. So I got a, a scholarship to study at the University of Queensland um, and came over in 2012. Yeah, so I, that's when I did my master's at UQ, the University of Queensland. Um, yeah, and, and then I've, 
kind of been here, well, I went away to Canada for a little bit um, to work in a winery on a side, side tangent. Um, but yeah, I realized. How that. was it? Sorry, how was it working there? <laughs> it was really fun. Um, I, because I, I think I, I had a really stressful time with my masters, and it really made me question whether it's something that I really wanted to do. And I thought that, and I also lost all my confidence in, in my abilities at that time. Um, I really wasn't sure whether I was good at soil science and um, yeah, so I thought I'd just try something else and see if that sparked my interest. And I think it was part of that process where you need to go through something where you really question yourself and then go and try something else. So yeah, it was really, it was a lot of fun and it was a lot of practical work. But after three months of working in a winery, I felt constricted uh that the wine and and people may very well disagree with me and i might have really got the wrong interpretation but my feeling at the time was that the wine industry is a lot more about marketing than it is about science and agriculture oh. um <laughs> essentially it comes down to how much people are going to pay for a bottle of wine and that's just not what i was interested in so Yeah, I, I think that what I really wanted to pursue was to come back to Australia and, and give it a try and try again <laughs> and take a slightly different path. And yeah, um, so I guess that's sort of what I've been working on since 2016. And yeah, I'm getting there slowly, I think. I haven't given up yet. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter. Like everyone has different times. <laughs> so. Yeah. So next question is, Do you have any dreams, aspirations when you were a child? Yeah, I thought that I wanted to be a, a vet, like a, a veterinarian. Everyone is saying that. Yeah. Everyone. I mean, typical, yes. Uh, so my parents, very supportive parents, said, okay, well, we have some friends who are vets. Why don't you go and stay with them for the holidays? So I stayed with them for a couple of weeks and decided after that that I did not want to be a vet. It wasn't what I was about. Um, yeah, that it just it, it was interesting seeing animals, but I, I mean, yeah, I just yeah, it's hard. I'm <laughs> working with animals. No, I can't. I can't. I tried. I can't. I prefer yeah, plants. It takes. I think it takes a special type to really yes. be dedicated to animals and. Um, yeah, it just, I, I, I knew that I was always going to be interested in the environment and animals, but I didn't want, I just didn't want the job of a vet. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> and did you have like any role models when you like growing or now or that yeah. you? So my mum was my first role model. She kind of chose So she started her ambitious part of her career when I went back to school. So kind of when I was quite young, um, she started dedicating her career to education and worked through her honours degree and master's degree. So I sort of saw, I observed her doing her studies um, and working through that difficult process and then getting um an interesting job and working really hard at that and then kind of it progressing and her building that um, so she works in digital literacy 
now, which uh, aims to bridge the digital divide um, between people who are sort of socioeconomically or rurally isolated from uh, digital education. Um, so it's a really, and then a, a, a big part of that is like recycling computers and, and managing e-waste. So yeah, so that was, I guess, that kind of doing interesting work for, for helping people had really inspired me, I think. And, and my dad is a, he was a biosecurity officer. So I, I, I think I also had that interest in agriculture and what's coming into the country and, and you know, like the kind of aspect of a having an economy that so strongly relies on agriculture and and the integrity of biosecurity. So yeah, I guess that's kind of combined my kind of background. I also, I guess personally, in a sort of leadership aspect, I had a really amazing dance teacher when I pretty much from when I was about seven years old to 18 years old. And she was also a PE teacher at school. So um, yeah, she was a huge influence in my life. And one thing that she said to me, or she said to our whole class once is, it was around the, the topic of what you want to leave behind when you're gone, not necessarily in a when you die aspect, but when you're not there, like, how do you want people to remember you? And like, it, you know, from school, I think it was probably just like, raising responsible teenagers but um yeah that really reflected on my thinking of like what do I what legacy do I want to leave behind even at school you know how do I want my peers to remember me and so I think that side of it has always been in the back of my mind I think it's quite important to always whenever you're doing something that someone can pick up either if you've started something interesting or useful that other people can pick that up from when you're gone but yeah and, and it empowers other people to continue work but also you're you're leaving the place in a, in a better position than you know when you found it so I, yeah I guess that that kind of thinking has really inspired me and I guess in terms of role models sometimes my they're not necessarily much older people it's also peers and people that are, I've studied with that school and at university workplaces that um, really support me that they were usually the smarter people than myself who I feel are much smarter than me and they've helped me in some way to understand certain concepts so um, I see them as my role models as well. <laughs> okay that's that's good fantastic so how did you find your path uh, let's say uh, in, in science, that, the moment because you are specializing in soil science, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was. It was not. It didn't go from the vet, me being a vet, to deciding to be mm -hmm. a soil scientist. It was not clear at all. I guess I wanted to do something that was different and that helped people. Yeah. To be fair, I was not good at science at school. I was, I'm, I was naturally good at the arts, English, poetry, dance. These are the things that came kind of naturally to me. Science actually terrified me. Um, but yeah, looking back, the, the arts and, and the things that I was kind of naturally good at didn't necessarily satisfy my curiosity like science did. 
And I found like, even though I found science really hard, when I found the answer, it was so satisfying and exciting and enlivening, you know, I'd, I'd like it. Yeah. So I guess that kind of spark has been what's kept me going in that, in that sort of sense. So when I left school, I almost did a fine arts degree, but with some encouragement from my mum and also my curiosity in climate change. So this is around 2007 where Al Gore had done his kind of big thing and, and lost the election. And, and I was quite interested in what's this climate change thing all about? And it kind of fitted my narrative of being interested in the environment and having a legacy and, and these sorts of things. So I went to university to study that, to, to study environmental science, essentially. But when I got to university, I went, so I went to an agricultural university to, to study environment. And in New Zealand, pretty much all of our environmental challenges are caused by agriculture. Um, there's a lot of greenhouse gas emissions, nitrous oxide emissions, and then waterway pollution. I was learning about that. And I guess trying to figure out this human relationship between why, how come we're getting this wrong? And that, that was really interesting to me. And, and it, I realized that it takes a lot of compassion to understand what farmers are going through to actually solve the problem. So that's what kind of really... Like that was the hook, line and sinker side of it in terms of that like mental interest. I guess I also wanted that kind of heart aspect, the care aspect. And I found that when I, so I did an internship in rural India in the North in Punjab in my second year of university. And we would like, it was for an NGO. It was quite poorly managed and organized. And I, I learned a, a bit about development work in that sense and I was living in this rural village and could kind of see that the farmers were having these problems but I knew I didn't know how to solve these problems but I thought you know if I study a bit more maybe I can come back one day and actually help so uh, I think tying in that aspect of having that, an international connection and connecting with different cultures, which I think also ties back into my heritage, connecting to different people, whether the, yeah, in rural areas is, is really, really interesting to me. So that that's really what's kept me in this, this area so far. Wow. But how are you were communicating with them? <laughs> um, so we had, sometimes we had a translator, but it was very sporadic. We didn't, necessarily know when we're going to have a translator and yeah it was yeah so I what I actually ended up doing because my project that I went there to work on well it was kind of three projects but primarily I was supposed to be working on waste management which was what kind uh, of waste? well all of the waste all of the rubbish that wasn't recycled just went onto the side of the road between the fields and the road yeah. That was, there was no tip or anything and there was no mm -hmm. local council. So I was really in over my head of how to deal with this. So what I ended up doing was talking to the local teachers because I could, they had some, they had a decent level of English comprehension and I'd already been working with some of the children in an after-school care program. So I ended up just chatting to the teachers and talking about waste and I developed a few lessons for them to teach in class about waste management 
So that that was pretty much all I could, I mean, I was only there for eight weeks, but that was all I could manage to do in that time. It was so difficult to really have any sort of impact. Um, and, and I mean, that was an important lesson for me in, in learning about international work and, and, and helping other people is it's not about fixing a problem, it's about empowering people to, to fix the problem that they see as important. So I really, yeah, that was a huge practical lesson for me. And it, yeah, I was only 19 at the time. So um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was I think still. it was, yeah, I think that I'm quite proud of my 19 year old self for doing yeah. that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even remember like, what I was doing in 19. I was still in high school, I guess. I didn't know what to do with my life. <laughs> you were in India. <laughs> Helping um, people. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's just been partly like seeking those opportunities and then trying to learn from them and, and then put it towards the next step. So yeah, I think I, I'd like to continue to work in, in this space and in a kind of global sense and, and thinking about where how people are growing food yeah globally really important not just to make sure that those people are safe and well and fed but it also comes back to a global health like it also impacts people who might not be experiencing such experiencing such hardships but it, it, it really benefits everybody what are your current project and how are you making an impact in your field it's a big question oh, yes <laughs> um so i'm a soil scientist uh, by training and i'm working in agricultural systems so the last few years i've been working with csiro doing research assistant work and research technician work And then in 2018, I started my PhD, which I, I created my own project, um, put that together, found my own supervisors and applied for my own funding. So I have, I'm quite autonomous in the sense of my project, um, which I really enjoy that ability to, to choose where I want to go. But essentially, so I'm looking, so I'm really interested within the soil, I'm really interested in nutrients and how they move through the soil because they contribute to pol environmental pollution, um, but also they're really important for, for feeding people and nourishing people. So I'm looking at phosphorus, which is a, the second most important nutrient essentially after nitrogen, but it's much less widely uh, studied. And the group that I've been working with in CSIRO use these, use a, a style of research or um, it's, it's also quite practical called like an ag integrated agricultural systems research. So we look at the system as a whole mm -hmm. and then we make decisions from, uh, depending on what the, the desired outcome is, with, whether it's to improve yields in a specific region or whether it's to reduce nitrogen leaching out to the Great Barrier Reef, for example. I'm using this, these concepts, which have mainly been applied to nitrogen and water, applying them to phosphorus. And we have a systems model, which is sort of a soil and crop model. It simulates how plants um, grow in response to what, what's in the soil and also what the atmosphere or the climate is doing. So the phosphorus modeling 
isn't as developed as the nitrogen or um, it's not as widely used as the nitrogen modeling. So I guess working on improving that and understanding that how we can improve phosphorus efficiency in tropical systems. So I have a field site in Queensland in Australia and I have a field, I'm collaborate. So I'm, I'm not owning, I'm not running those field trials but I'm collaborating with people who run them. So there's one in Queensland and there's also one in Kenya, in Western Kenya. So I went to Kenya last year to, to collect a whole heap of data. So I'm using these two as my kind of comparative sites as they have quite different soils. But yeah, so it's testing the model in, the, in those environments. And I'm also really interested in how climate change is influencing phosphorus efficiency in these systems. So it's, it's kind of bringing together quite a few concepts, um, but it, it's really enjoyable. And um, yeah, I'm hoping to finish the PhD this year. <laughs> oh, that's really cool that you came up and with your own project. So you, you're testing in which crop? It's, it's a mixture of maize. Mm -hmm. So in Kenya, it's, a, it's mainly maize, but um, there's soybean and a, a local crop called tephrosia which okay. is like a legume that is not eaten it's actually poisonous but it's used for medicinal like for treating ticks in cattle and it's used for fishing like it, it's it stuns if you put it in the water apparently it stuns the fish and then they're easier to catch. Oh, wow. <laughs> but anyway, it's just a, one of the it, it, the trials are testing out conservation agriculture and uh, another style called integrated fertility management. So it, and, it's sort of these styles that are being encouraged throughout Africa to increase production. And then in Queensland, it's a mixed cropping system. It's sort of just, so it's on the Darling Downs and it depends on what is the local kind of best crop to grow at the time but then there's nitrogen and phosphorus treatments plus and minus treatments so it's just like a, a lot they're both long-term trials so they've got this benefit of looking back through climate data and seeing where the relationships are with how phosphorus efficiency actually when when it's higher and when it's lower and if that's correlated to what the what the weather's doing at the time so i'm hoping that we can start to identify um phosphorus efficient practices that are suitable for climate like a future of climate change uh, with you know such a scenario so the idea is to be able to do some projections as well towards the end of my phd and and understand that a bit better that's awesome <laughs> and you came up like by yourself <laughs> With this project like, um, just well, you. I wouldn't say it's by myself I think it, it's been a process of just reading things mm -hmm. talking to people okay making decisions and then doing that um over and over and over again and then just kind of yeah getting to where I am I'm also doing a lab work component which has been really fun um so I'm using a microdialysis technique to measure so i'm incubating the soil at different temperatures and then measuring in real time what the phosphorus availability is in the soil and then using that to kind of ground truth the, the model the systems model that, that we have so yeah i mean talk to me when i actually finish it i, I might have just just decided to do one of those things that i talked about over the last five minutes <laughs> oh that's cool that's really good 
So we are also curious, like, how does a regular day look like for you? Um, good question. Some Zoom meetings. <laughs> um, I usually am exhausted in the morning, <laughs> um, and probably yeah, I, I cycle into work, and so I'm not an early riser. I wish I was, but yeah, no, probably get into work around nine, and then That's still uh, early. I think <laughs> depending on how how uh how much brain power i'm feeling like i have i'll try to do some writing or some calculations yeah I, i guess in the last sort of year that that's what i've been doing and then i try to organize meetings and lab work in the afternoon i do volunteer as well for the researchers in agriculture and international development network so yep. the raid network yep. um And so that, that's been meetings here and there, and sometimes we organize events. So, yeah, I've, I've been supporting other representatives around the country to manage events. Um, but I, I've put that work on hold this year because I've got to get the, the thesis finished and papers published and stuff. So I've, I've passed on some responsibilities there. Yeah, I guess going through data, depending on whether there's a, a conference or something happening, I'll try to yeah write some stuff for that maybe in the evenings <laughs> um cook dinner with my partner and yeah maybe watch an episode or something and then start planning the next day <laughs> yeah like us like this is normal though <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty yeah i mean it it is hard work but it, it's also enjoyable so i'm it like and i work with really great people so it's um it's something that's really important if you are going to be that sort of dedicated you need to have quality people to work with and i yeah. i definitely feel like i have that um at the moment so it that's makes good. it sustainable otherwise it's not sustainable <laughs> no, otherwise it's just stressful and still yeah. stressful but less stressful at least yeah Anyway, I'm very curious about your experience with the Homeward Bound Leadership Program. Mm -hmm. And this was the last year before all the COVID thing craziness. Luckily. Yeah, so we, we were the last. So, the, so I was in the Homeward Bound cohort, the fourth cohort. So or HB4 is what it's sort of called sometimes. So HB5, they were supposed to go to Antarctica last year, but they didn't get to they will have to wait until COVID, the COVID situation allows them to. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it's tough, definitely mm -hmm. tough for those people, but they've managed to work, they've managed to sort of change the program structure a bit, um, which I think is possibly for the best because it, it gives them more time to digest a lot of what you learn in Homeward Bound. But could you please like give us an overview about the project for yeah, people that sure. don't know what it is? So I had to make an application and I was selected and then we had to raise funds. So it was, yeah, I, I raised 28,000 Australian dollars, which was really scary, really, really scary. Wow. When I, found <laughs> you do that? When I, I realized that I had to try to source that. It was really overwhelming because I'd never dealt with a big sum of money like that. And it was more than my income for my PhD, you know, so... It was really scary. Luckily, there was some other people were more confident than me at raising money and that kind of rubbed off on me. And I thought, okay, well, maybe it's possible. 
Um, and I just kind of went from there. But yeah, it was uh, it was really confronting and also having to raise that money. And so I set up a crowdfunding page. I, I talked to people I asked at CSIRO at the University of Queensland, wrote letters and, you know, said, I need, I need this money. And even just overcoming that fact that saying, like, I need this money for, for a thing that's to do with me was really like, there was, I guess, a kind of a bit of shame associated with that. Like, who am I to even be asking that? So I, I really had to work through that and clarify what my intentions were with this program. And that's part of the whole journey of it. So, it, yeah, it was really about what I wanted to achieve with this project, with this program and what the program is all about in terms so the program is about improving global leadership and sort of addressing that leadership crisis with two different ammunitions you could say or two, just two different methods of trying to improve leadership so they focus on women with a stem background because firstly most most leadership positions are held by men so the idea is to when you have more diverse perspectives you have generally better decision-making that accounts for a larger range of scenarios because essentially you have more experience to consider these, these different scenarios that could happen. And then secondly, people with the STEM background have a sort of, sort of training that is quite, I mean, obviously we still have an inherent bias, but we try to at least acknowledge that and and try to account for our, our bias so we have a, a more um critical decision making um and training background um which is not necessarily uh seen in many global leaders or people in leadership leadership positions so um that was the kind of premise of targeting women with stem backgrounds so the, yeah, and then the idea is to improve decision making for the, the health of the planet in the, in the future, but also um, even just improving leadership within the workplace. And, and that's actually a business case, you know, for a university or any workplace, if they're getting potentially free training and they, they have to raise so much money, you know, so we had to raise 20, I had to raise $28,000, but in terms of the, the actual dollar value that was calculated for the program, it was around $45,000. So um, because there's so much in-kind training and other aspects, I, I was essentially just paying for the, the flights and the expenses associated with the Antarctica part of the program. But how long um, did you stay there? Um, so we were in Antarctica for 18 days, but we had we had a few days in Ushuaia before and after the voyage. How long took like all this program to? Uh, so it's a 12 a 12 month program mm -hmm. in total. So we started off with Zoom calls and homework, and we had like a training kind of coaching session. So we also I had a professional coach who delivered my 365 training to me, which was really, really helpful. Like I learned a lot from these professional, they're just, I mean, a lot of them are professional training tools that you don't get in, in STEM disciplines. It's more in companies who, who need to maximize productivity from, from their leaders that do this. Um, so it was amazing to have access, like normally 
a scientist, a, an early career scientist wouldn't have access to these types of training. So it was really, really amazing for me to, to be exposed to these yeah, leadership tools, essentially. So we would go through these tools and then we would have support in, in working out what they mean. And then obviously there was that whole fundraising as aspect during that 12 month. And then we had, we started meeting our, the, the other people. So there was a hundred women in my cohort from all over the world. So meeting them on Zoom calls and, and forming groups and working through practicing different techniques. So um, one of the things that we were encouraged to do is to practice reflection and understand what that meant. Another aspect was promoting, uh, well, learning how to promote our visibility because the, the, you know, the theory is that you, well, firstly, you can't be it if you can't see it. So if yeah. there's coming, coming from that kind of that saying is it's really hard to for people to know what to aspire to if they don't even know it exists. So when you can see somebody, you can you can doing something that that you think it, you might want to do, then it's it's easier to imagine yourself doing that. Yeah. Um, and that I mean that that goes to so many things like sports and you, you the people you see on TV. You know, like they're the people you kind of want to be when you're a, a kid. So it's sort of tackling that aspect of leadership trying to encourage us to put ourselves out there and be visible and but part of that part of that is vulnerability so when you put yourself out there you're also put you're also vulnerable to criticism and people kind of you know putting you down so learning to deal with that and what that means to you was really really challenging and and interesting and yeah that was a big big part of the training and then we also did collaboration and science communication training as well. Wow, that, that the program mm. it's really sounds really good and awesome. And uh, I highly recommend, yeah, any anyone to anyone who's interested to apply. And but uh, we, we why was like that? That uh, much money, right? Oh yes, like, that would be impossible. <laughs> would but be why did you? <laughs> So I have two questions. Why did you like? Why did you apply for this program? Like at the beginning, why? Like I mean, well, I didn't really think I was initially. I didn't think I was good enough to apply. To be honest, I was like, I'm not like one of those amazing women who, you know, wins all those awards. Like I'm just like that girl who struggles with basic science. So. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't have a lot of confidence to apply, but um, I did, I noticed there was somebody else at my work. So it, it comes from that. When you see it, you, you can see yourself. But there was a, another person at work, Cecile Gott. So she was on Homeward Bound 2. And I, I saw her before the, you know, like I knew her before the program and I knew her after. And I guess I kind of saw that the, the interesting things that were happening in her life and I thought I want me some of that like <laughs> I, I want to be a part of that I want to give it a try like she has she was just such a role model to me and even though she's younger than me <laughs> she yeah I thought like I'd love to be able to have her confidence and have what she has like I, I just want to give it a go and just see what happens and but then she actually like I, I said, oh, I'm interested in, in, in applying. And she said, yeah, you should apply. You would be like fantastic for this program. And you're exactly the type of person that the program is looking for, you know? And so she really encouraged me. And, you know, it, it, it is important to support our, 
um, our colleagues and, and really encourage them to do things that they're a little bit scared to do. Yeah, so I'm really grateful that Cecile did encourage me to apply and I applied and I got in. So, you know, like you got to be in to win, I guess. So, yeah. <laughs> I have a question. Did you stay in contact with all the women that you met there? Yes, we have a WhatsApp group, which is <laughs> about a hundred of us. And it, wow. it's, yeah, it, it, we get a few messages every day and there's people all over the world, you know, messaging each other. It was really important for coronavirus to see how people were dealing yes. all over the world um, with, with these crazy changes. And it, yeah, when, when one of us is going through a tough time, we can share that in, in the group. And then we also have like a alumni group on, on Facebook, which is one platform, but we have other many other platforms that we use to keep in contact. And we have like updates of, of what's happening from the central group. Um, and I was lucky enough to be on the, the first call of Home Bound 6 to talk to them about fundraising and what I did and, and my journey. So I, I, I've met some of the people from Home Bound six, which has been amazing. And they are, yeah, another level of, <laughs> of really, really interesting people. So the network just kind of continues to grow. Yeah, which I'm really, really grateful for. Fantastic. Okay, that's awesome. So we have, we don't have much time left. And we have so many, we have a few questions. <laughs> <laughs> so let's try to be quick. Sure. So I'll try to combine two questions. Okay. So one is, Why it's important to highlight women in agriculture and how would you recommend, is how to what, what recommendation would you give to increase the number of females in agriculture? Yeah. And to undertake a science career or the agricultural career? So firstly, I want to say that women are in agriculture and they are there. They're, they're really, really important, not only for current agriculture, but for the future of agriculture. So In Australia and many countries, women aren't seen as farmers, even though they're, they're often the backbone of many farming communities. Mm -hmm. So that there's, I guess, some of that, a lot of work that we don't see that is done by women. And I, I had looked up some statistics from the Invisible Farmer Project. I don't know if you're aware of that. Yes, I know um, that. But yeah, yeah so that, that's really, really interesting. So even um, in Australia, 49% of real farm income comes from women. Yeah, I know that. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So, <laughs> Half of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that, yeah, when we think to Google uh, a farmer, often we don't, we don't think of the women who are, who are there doing a lot of work on the farm. So it's important to definitely acknowledge those women. In terms of agricultural science, I think there are a lot of women who study agricultural science and that they go to university. And it, I think in many countries, it's probably, and, and nowadays, definitely not maybe 50 years ago, but nowadays, a lot, there are a lot of women studying agriculture, but the, the problem is that they leave. And why, why do they leave? It, that is really confronting. And I think that's where if in industry and universities and organizations want to keep women in the workplace and they really need to review how they make decisions around who gets promoted and who gets, you know, special 
grants or, or what the, the circumstances are for those grants. So one really great thing that's starting to come through now, at least with the with grant systems, is considering the a full-time equivalent, work equivalent for, for grants. So say you took, so you were raising a family for five years and 20% of that time you were actually working and that actually, that 20% of time gets taken, is, you know, it's taken into account compared to someone who in the last five years worked 100% of the time. So this sort of full-time equivalent is one of the, the ways that we can start to understand and find ways of supporting women in the workplace they're not radical things that we need to really do one thing that i think we can all do and it's not just workplaces or or men who need to step up it's it's also something that women can do to think about i mean we what we can all do is to think about our own biases and i think something that i've reflected reflected on myself is thinking about well I actually do have biases against other women and you know it's not about denying that we have them it's just about recognizing them acknowledging like learning to recognize them acknowledging them and then making conscious conscious decision to to prevent that from happening in the future so yeah it, it's not something that we need to just kind of blame someone for it's something that we all need to take a little bit of internal reflection on well said yeah completely agree what advice would you give to your younger self okay oh to my younger self yes so that's simple it would be to trust myself more yeah yeah that's a good one we always i think yeah we all agree yeah Yeah. i think we doubt ourselves too much when we are younger yeah, I think that also, I think I've made observations and kind of kept them to myself or like, you know, I thought, oh, that would be a great idea and then never tell anybody, never write about it, never explore it because I didn't really have the confidence or, you know, I thought that other people's ideas were more important or valid than mine. But then I've found, you know, like five years later, oh, actually, yeah, I thought about that five years ago and I never did anything about it. I never told anybody or I never wrote that down and put it out there. So yeah, I think just kind of trusting the, the good ideas that I, that I had. Yeah. Five, 10 years ago that, that they've been valid all this time. I, I just didn't think that they were important. Yeah. You were going to mention actually about the advice that you could give to young oh, yes. girls. And yes. And so I, I think that kind of ties into what advice I would have given myself. But firstly, your perspective is important and you can make a difference. So if you think that you aren't like everybody else and you don't fit in or you don't, you know, your thinking isn't the same as everybody's, that's a good thing. <laughs> I used to think that that wasn't, something that was useful but actually the more I've started to to explore those cons like those ideas that I've had the more people have stopped and thought oh wow that was a really really you know insightful observation you've made and I just thought that you know that was just something weird that I you know yeah I just yeah didn't have the confidence to think that that was important and the second thing is to experiment with different things 
until you find something that you really care about because, and, and also find out why you care about it because these are the things that are going to help you in the really tough times. And you are going to experience tough times, but when you have that thing that you really care about, that's going to help you through it. So it's really, really important to explore, find out what you like, find out what you don't like, find out what your boundaries are, what's okay and what's not okay for you and make sure that you live by those. Excellent. Well, it's Thank like you if you were talking to me, like I feel it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And you never stop figuring that out. By oh, the yes. way, you always have to keep keep questioning that. But the sooner you start doing it, the 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 better, the more grounded you are, and and the 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 better the better position you are you're in to kind of hold your own ground when you need to. Yeah, but sometimes you can't answer them because you don't have the answer. So it takes yeah. time as well. <laughs> exactly. Well, with experiences. Uh, yes. And a bit of more confidence, I think that's how we can achieve that. Yeah, and even even yeah. if you get wrong, that's fine. You learn. And yep, we all learn. You have to take it as a as an achievement, not as a loss. Excellent. Thank you both. Thank so you. Much. Thank you very much that for really your time. <laughs> Thank you so much Thank you. <laughs> for joining us, and we wish you all the best. Thank yeah. you. Good luck. <laughs>